Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. Welcome again to the Crystal Silence League Hour. This is the Right Reverend John St. Germain welcoming you again to our spooks, haints, and things that go bump in the night. Tonight we'll look at the Bell Witch once again and conclude it. Next week we'll talk about shadow people, a very real phenomenon, a very scary scary phenomena. If you've seen shadow people, you know what I'm talking about. And we're, of course, celebrating Halloween, Samhain, and other witchly and spooky events. Um, that occur. And um, did you know that jack-o'-lanterns are mentioned in uh, Harry Middleton Hyatt? Oh, yeah, dig out uh, dig out your Harry Middleton Hyatt and read about jack-o'-lanterns. Jack-o'-lanterns and jack-o'-lanterns and jack-o'-lanterns. And uh, they're uh, called all sorts of different things. Well, um, uh, the news, uh, I don't know there's really any news. We've got lots of rain, lots of weather. Uh, we're probably going to have thunderstorms tonight, so I don't know how intermittent our broadcast might be. Um, you never know. You really never know sometimes in this business that we call radio if you're going to have a show or not. We call it blog talk roulette. Sometimes everything works fine, and sometimes you get on the air and you don't know um, what's going on out there. Sometimes we get feedback, and sometimes we don't. I'm also going to introduce a new segment tonight and see how it flies. We'll see. Now that I call it random readings, there are some people that contacted. You know we're a call-in show, right? We have a guest call-in number six five seven three eight three zero five two five, and occasionally someone will call in. You know, some random drifter through the night will call in. Uh, a lot of times these shows, I understand people listen to them in archive. They will uh, listen to them in the archives, and that's understandable. Sometimes. Uh, a show like this is uh, better digested in leftover fashion. I like leftovers myself. I like soup and stew and chili and things like that in leftover. Better digested, reheated. Sometimes it's better on the second day. Maybe my show is the same way. And um, like all of the LMC radio shows, uh, I do readings too. You know, I'm I'm a diviner. I'm a I'm a seer. I see signs and portents, and I have written many books on divination. I've written books on palmistry and lithomancy and stone and card uh, readings and things like that, and I've invited people to call in for readings. So it occurred to me, uh, a lot of people have said, well, um, you read prayers aloud. Why don't you read questions aloud and answer them? And I said, I'll do the very thing. And some people have sent me in some questions they wanted me to answer on the air, and so I thought I would do it. And I have a few I've selected from the mail Pile. We call it the slush heap when people send in um, letters. It's called the slush heap. And I grab a few at random. So if you want that, just send me some email. If, you'd like, if you have a question, you'd like me to do a divination for you, um, send it in. Uh, you can go to my website, www.johnsg.com, J-O-N-S-G.com, and send me an email. And I will pick three questions every week, and I'll perform a divination and I'll answer it for you. I will. We read loud prayers, and I'll read loud some readings, and I'll perform a divination for you. I'll do three a week. My website's www.johnsg.com, johnsg.com, johnsaintgermain.com. Don't try to spell John St. Germain. No one ever spells it correctly. It's johnsg.com. And the Crystal Silence League, you know, was founded around 1917 by Mr. Claude Alexander Conlon, for the purpose of projecting positive prayer and affirmation to all those in need of such. Why did he do this? Well, because he made a successful career in show business, and he decided he wanted to share that secrets of his success with everyone. And he did. 
and he wrote many books about the same, and we have some of those books available. We have some pamphlets available through the Crystal Silence League, and if you go to www.crystalsilenceleague.org, you'll see our version of the Crystal Silence League, which we brought back into cybernetic existence around 2007, I think, adepts of the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches, which you can also find online at Association of Independent Spiritual Churches.com. Yes, you can. And you can also find us on the AIR website, AIRR, which is Readers and Rootworkers.com. Don't try to find us at AIRR.com. That's a, a engineering site, but Readers and Rootworkers.com, where you'll find uh, all the tested, vetted, and certified readers of the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers. And also, don't forget Lucky Mojo Curio Company, who sponsors the LMC Radio Root Work. I think that's all of our many, many umbrella. And, of course, the Crystal Silence League. And don't forget Hoodoo Psychics also, an affiliation of our organization, where you can get genuine, talented, gifted, and tested and certified Hoodoo Psychic Readers and Root Workers. Did I cover everybody? I believe I may have. Been my custom since we started the show, gosh, about three years ago. I'm the second longest running show on our, on our roster. Uh, the first being, of course, the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour, which is probably the longest, I think it is the longest running show dedicated to folk magic and hoodoo and conjure. And uh, you see that on Sunday nights. We'll, we'll, we'll bring our program roster up here soon. Uh, to read the loud prayers from our prayer list, and we get about 100 to 200 prayers a week posted, and if you post your prayer, not only do you get a chance to be reading it out loud on the air, but many people will pray for you. And if you go to our prayer page on the Crystal Silence League website, you can see those prayers and pray for people and be prayed for. But first, let's look at our Crystal of the Week, which is the Eye Agate, sometimes called the Third Eye Agate or the Evil Eye Agate. And if you look at these things... uh, Basically, it's a striated stone. It's a agate that is in layers. Uh, it has a, uh, a grain, a core, kind of like a peach pit. And then other layers of colored agate go over it, and then uh, it looks like an eye. And sometimes you'll see an agate that looks like an obsidian, uh, a snowflake obsidian. It'll have eyes all over it. It'll look like Argus, the thousand-eyed guardian. Those are very good to have. They look in every direction, but some of them just look like eyes, and some of them are tooled or machined to, to be oval, like an eye, and they'll have a, a cornea and a pupil. Uh, you know, they'll, they look an iris. They look like an eye. So these are uh, very handy. They're, they're protectors. They're protector stones. They're watchers. They're guardians. So, um, And these have been highly valued for thousands and thousands of years. You see them in statues and you see them in idols and you see them on walls and in amulets that go back thousands and thousands of years. Uh, <clears throat> and they've been used uh, to protect against the evil eye and against uh, negative energy. And uh, they can warn you if you develop a relationship with them. They can warn you against psychic attack. They can let you know that someone's out to get you. They also stimulate the third eye uh, you can rub them against your third eye. They increase your uh, awareness of your environment. They um, they can help you toward your quest in enlightenment. They can stimulate your imagination. They can awake latent abilities and talents. They can help you in your concentration and test-taking. They can warn you of hidden en- enemies, people with hidden agendas. They can help increase your wisdom. They can balance the yin and the yang. And some people believe that they can help relieve stress and depression and mental confusion. Agate's a very hard stone, like marble. You can uh, use it in the direct method. When you make elixir, drop it in the water. Let it soak in the sunlight, soak in the moonlight. Remove the stone, add a few drops of brandy, apply the elixir extracted thereof to your third eye, to various parts of your body, your chakra, um, use it in your magical endeavors. That's our eye, sh- our eye agate, the third eye agate, a very magical stone. They're very pretty. You can find them. We have pictures of them on our slideshow, and you can uh, 
find these just about anywhere. They're not – I've read where they're rare, but I've seen them everywhere. Every uh, rock show I've ever been to, they have third eye agates everywhere. I, I don't think they're that rare, and they're not that expensive. So, you know, uh, to, each, to each their own, I guess. I don't know. The third eye agate. If you will wonder and meander with me over to the Crystal Silence League website, www.crystalsilenceleague.org, and go to the prayer requests, you will see we have prayers posted there, as we always do. And I invite you to pray along with me. I never call anybody's name out. We preserve anonymity there, and I do use prayer ID number. And without further ado, why don't we go right on to that? So we have... Prayer ID number 76943 that was posted today, and she prays about taking a Cisco exam on December 1st and asking that God help her pass this exam. She says, I need to pass this exam. It will be my way out of my not-so-good current situation. I ask that God aid me and give me knowledge to take this exam with ease. May it be so. Amen. And prayer ID 76942, he says, Dear Lord, please bless me with a new car and bless me so that I'm granted affordable payments while maintaining my lifestyle. Dear Lord, please bless me in a mighty way with no money down. Lord, help. I'm going the first week in November to the dealership. Amen. Gosh, you know, they have those tote-the-note places. You know, no credit, no money down. We don't care if you have a job or you escape from jail. Those places are terrible. You know, the interest rate is awful. Um and you buy a car that breaks down on you, you know, you still have to pay for it. And it's awful. Be careful. Be beware of those tote the note places. Beware. Those people are demons. I hope, you know, none of them are steady listeners. Prayer ID seven six nine no, no, they're not, because if they hear prayer, it's like they'll burst into flame. I know they're not, so never mind about that. Prayer ID seven six nine four one, who reminds us of the law of attraction. And she says, Law of Attraction, ask, believe, receive. Do yourself a favor and learn how to walk away, she says. When a connection starts to fade, learn how to let it go. When a person starts to mistreat you, learn how to move on to something and someone better. Boy, I say this about nine times a day. Don't waste your energy trying to force something that isn't meant to be. Because the truth is, for every one person who doesn't value you, there are tons more waiting to love you better. Amen, amen, amen. That is the God's God's honest truth. And we have a prayer ID 76939 who says, Please pray that a lawyer will help me seek justice against the male who raped me and held me hostage. Dear God, it happened four years ago, and the rapist has been harassing and threatening me into silence by filing a civil lawsuit against me two years ago. Please pray that a contingency lawyer steps in to help me silence the rapist once and for all before the court hearing. On Friday, God bless you. Amen. And prayer ID 76938. Dear God, please heal the hearts and minds of Janet and oh, J and P on the passing of Jay's sister. Please hold them in your hand and lift them up. Bring them supernatural peace as they walk through this grief. Love them and heal and light their union and marriage as well. Show them how to be there for each other. We ask that you allow your Holy Spirit to take up residence in their home and allow them to go closer, more loving and stronger in every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And prayer ID 76937, who tells us that P is healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. Healing, peace, and a full recovery are her birthright and her reality also on this physical plane. She's healed in the name of Jesus. It's done. God made it so. Thank you, God. Amen. And prayer ID 76935, who says, I need divine intervention in my life healing of my sister friend, M, of her brain aneurysm, coma, and brain bleed, removing all obstacles, distance, and barriers between my sweet B and I reuniting. This is multiple prayers. Our deepest love, respect, desire, and unending passionate blessings for one another each and every day of our lives. For my son, N, to be healed of mental illness, leaving him a sound mind and industrious spirit, to remove all financial crisis debt with financial blessings beyond all measures, 
to be a blessing always. Thank you, dear, precious Lord. Amen. And prayer ID 76933. Pray sincerely and ask God to grant you a miracle. You can get the Holy Spirit by asking God to come into your heart. Father God, I lay down my sins before you in Jesus' name. I pray. Amen. And prayer ID 76932. He says, I'm having my DNB exam, family medicine practical exam on the 15th of October, and I'm studying for same. Kindly pray so I answer all the questions correctly and pass the exam. Thank you. Amen. Prayer ID 76931, who says, needs some luck. He says, I need urgent prayers so I'll get the relevant paperwork needed immediately. Needs this paperwork because trying to keep the job I now have, this world is crazy. Brother, that's the truth. The other countries I was in, I had the paperwork easy but could get no work. And now I have a decent job in order to save some money to do my projects. I have problems getting the relevant documents living in this underdeveloped land. Where do you live? It might be America. I have... uh, I need prayers so that I'll receive the relevant papers or luck now. Thanks. Amen. Now we have um, prayer ID 76928. Please pray with me that the love of my life, E, will propose marriage to me. Thank you so much, and God bless you. Prayer ID 76925. Please pray in Jesus' name that this case, and she does list the uh, person it's with, be dismissed from 2015. It's been going on since then. That all payments be dismissed every month in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And let's have one more. Prayer ID 76923. Please pray in Jesus' name for my son's overall health to be good. When he goes in for his checkup, that his blood pressure is at normal level and his breathing is good and he will not have to go on blood pressure medication. Thank you in Jesus' name. I pray amen and amen. And let's have a moment of silent prayer for all those in need of comfort and support and affirmation. Amen. I want to dip into my mailbag and look at some uh, questions some uh, listeners have, and I picked three at random. I had about a dozen people write in with some questions that they were like answered through divination. I'm going to use uh, lithomancy. These are uh, readings performed with gemstones, and if you'd like to know more about it, there's a couple of books available uh, written by uh, the Reverend John St. Germain, some guy who hosts this show. Um, Crystal Magic and Lithomancy, both available uh, through uh, Lucky Mojo Curio Company. About more about whom we'll hear later. And uh, the first one I have is uh, from 
Miss Hannah H. from Kentucky, which is just upstate a little bit, who just says she wants a love reading. And I will, I'll start. I've never done one of those before, so why don't we just go ahead and do one of those? And okay, Hannah, there's uh, uh, something very clear here. There's uh, um, very likely you're going to hear, or you've already heard from a fellow from your past. And uh, this this man will appear to you with honeyed words in his mouth, as we say in the South. Um, very sweet talking fellow from your past. Uh, no, very simply, no, no. The answer there is no. Don't don't do this. Now, in the meantime, though, um, there seems to be somebody very close to you at work, and uh, this person at work uh, is very interested in you, but you've been putting him off. Now, you've been putting him off because I think you're still holding out hope from this guy from your past. There's a reason that guy's in your past. You know, leave the past where it belongs. That's why it's the past. Now, this guy from work is very interesting. Um, I don't think he's uh, Mr. Forever, but I do think uh, he could be a very – okay, now, I don't I don't always advise this, uh, but I think he could be a very hot fling, and he could get you past your hang-up with the guy from the past. Uh, he's what we call a transitional relationship. You know, he, he clears the pipes, Okay. Uh, he 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 he, uh, he gets you over that guy from the past, so that Mr. Wright can come along, and you, you've got all that junk out of your system. Now, uh, as for Mr. Wright, um, I can kind of see a new man by Thanksgiving. Uh, your November man comes along, and he's he's the guy that you think, well, now this is someone I can build a future with. But as long as you're hung up on this guy from the past, none of this is going to happen. That's what I see for you. Now, if you want more details, you know where to find me. Give me a call, and I'll give you more details on that. Okay, I hope that's clear. Now, my second inquiry is from a fellow named James. It's James H., and he's in Los Angeles. Oh, my gosh, Los Angeles. Goodness gracious, all the way over there. And he says, Reverend John, I'm considering doing something at work. Should I do it? Um, okay, this seems dangerous to me, James. Um, I'm, let me do this. This seems dangerous to me at this time. Um, this is not like asking for a raise, is it? No, this no. This is not like you're going to go to your boss and say, hey, I need a raise. This is some, something very risky and very personal. Um and it seems very dangerous to me at this time. Uh, this is not something appropriate to the workplace. This is something you might want to reconsider. Uh, mixing this with work might – it's dangerous. I'm just going to say it's dangerous. I'm not going to tell you not to do it, but I'm going to tell you it's dangerous. Okay? Uh, again, you want details? Call me. Um, I don't want to talk about it on the air, but it's dangerous. It's dangerous. That's all I'm going to tell you. And I'm going to move on to the next reading. Dangerous. All right. And this is uh, Miss Rhonda. Rhonda J. Oh, from Murfreesboro, Tennessee. That's about uh, four hours from here. Um, you ought to drive by and see Divine Harmony Spiritual Church. Come by and see my church if you're ever in Knoxville. Should I open a store? And when? Okay. Uh, Rhonda, there are three clear signs here um, that I, I want to tell you about. Uh, first of all, at the moment, someone's telling you no. Someone's saying, no, don't do this. Um, um, I'm telling you yes. Uh, Mr. No has got to go. Mr. No has got to go. I'm telling you yes. Whoever this is telling you no, Mr. No has got to go. Uh, the second sign is a partner. Uh, a partner or a vendor will appear. Uh, there's there's a piece missing right now. There's a supplier or a piece missing. It's very hard for you to get something you need for your business. You're trying to do it by yourself, and because of this, you can't. Uh, your time is not wisely spent. There's a partner or a vendor who says, "Oh, I can get that for you, or I can make that for you." 
and that seems to be the second sign. And the third sign is that the uh, the space itself makes itself available. You don't really have a place to do this yet. And if you try to do it out of your home, uh, there's Mr. No. And there's also uh, other – it's very difficult to run a business like that out of your home, I think. And uh, uh, so it seems like you might be driving by somewhere, and you'll see a sign that says for lease or something like that. And that's your business. There it is. So that's your third sign. Again, you want details? Go to my website. You know where to find me, and we'll take care of that. And that's our three readings for the night. If you guys want me to do a reading for you, uh, give me an email. Um, you can find me through my website. Send me an email, and I will be only too glad to do that reading for you. Or at some point, perhaps if you like, um, you can call in the show, and we shall do a reading for you. Let's talk about the Bell Witch. We'll talk about the Bell Witch after our station identification. This is the LMC Radio Network. The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour, Catherine Ironwood and Condrman Holly, Sundays, 3 to 4.30, the Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays, 5 to 6, Blue Flag Root Radio with Lady Muse, Fridays, 4 to 5, and The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix LeFay, Fridays, 6 to 7. All time specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. When we last left the Bell Witch, they had established communication with her, as you'll recall. Um... The Bell Witch was, of course, haunting the family of uh, John Bell in the uh, late 1800s, and the witch continued to um, develop the power of articulation. It first started out as a whistling whisper, and um, eventually they asked a question, Who are you and what do you want? And the witch replied, I'm a spirit who was once very happy but had been disturbed. And uh, so... A follow-up question, how are you disturbed and what makes you unhappy? And the reply was, according to the uh, reminiscences, we're reading from the uh, reminiscences of Mr. William Bell, who was uh, the son of John Bell and the sister of Elizabeth Bell, who said, I am the spirit of a person who was buried in the woods nearby, and the grave has been disturbed. My bones disinterred and scattered, and one of my teeth was lost under this house. And I'm here looking for my tooth. So, according to Mr. William Bell, this statement revived the memory of a circumstance which occurred some three or four years previously and had been entirely forgotten. The farmhands, when engaged in clearing a plot of land, discovered a small mound of graves, which father supposed to be an Indian burying ground, and worked around it without obliterating the marks. Several days later, Corbin Hall, a young man of the neighborhood, came to our place and was told by Drew the circumstances of finding the Indian graves. Hall thought probably the graves contained some relics which Indians commonly buried with their dead and proposed to open one and see, to which Drew agreed, and they proceeded to disinter the bones. Finding nothing else, Hall brought the jawbone to the house, and while sitting in the passage, he threw it against the opposite wall, and the jarring knocked out a loose tooth, which dropped through a crack in the floor. Now, Pardon me. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to make an interjection here. What kind of savages disinter a fucking grave and take the jawbone and throw it against the wall? And you know these, these white Christian settlers called my people savages. Okay, I'm I'm just sorry. Father passed through the hall in the meantime and reprimanded the boys severely for their action, and made one of the Negro men take the jawbone back, replacing all the disinterred bones and filling the grave. This was evidently the circumstance referred to by the spirit so long forgotten and to be reminded of the fact so mysteriously was very perplexing and troubled father no little, as well it should. He examined the floor just where the bone dropped when it struck the wall as the boys had left it, and there was the crack referred to, and he was pestered and decided to take up a portion of the floor and see if the tooth could be found. The dirt underneath was raked up, sifted, and thoroughly examined, but the tooth was not found. The witch then laughed at father, 
declaring that it was all a joke to fool old Jack. The excitement in the country increased as the phenomena developed. The fame of the witch had become widely spread, and people came from all quarters to hear the strange and unaccountable voice. Some were detectives, confident of exposing the mystery. Various opinions were formed and expressed. Some credited its own story and believed it an Indian spirit. Some thought it was an evil spirit. Others declared it was witchcraft, and a few unkindly charged that it was a magic art and trickery gotten up by the Bell family to draw crowds and make money. These same people had stayed as long as they wished, enjoyed Father's hospitality, and paid not one cent for it, nor did it ever cost anyone a half shilling. The house was open to everyone that came. Father and mother gave them the best they had. Their horses were fed, and no one allowed to go away hungry. Many offered pay and urged Father to receive it, insisting that he could not keep up entertaining so many without pay, but he persistently denied remuneration, and not one of the family ever received a cent for entertaining. You know, skeptics to this day said it was a say it was a money making scheme, even though it says you know in print that uh, nobody ever got paid for it. Father regarded the phenomena as an affliction, a calamity, and such accusations were very galling, but were endured. Inquisitive people continued to exercise all of their wits, plying the witch with questions concerning its personality or character, but elicited no further information until the question was put by James Gunn. Then came the reply. I am the spirit of an early immigrant who brought a large sum of money and buried my treasure for safekeeping until needed. In the meantime, I died without divulging the secret, and I've returned in the spirit for the purpose of making known the hiding place, and I want Betsy Bell to have the money. The spirit was then urged to tell where the money was concealed. This was refused, and the secret withheld until certain pledges were made that the conditions would be complied with. The conditions were that Drew Bell and Bennett Porter would agree to exhume the money and give every dollar to Betsy, and that old Sugarmouth, who was Mr. James Johnson, would go with them and see that the injunction was fairly discharged. The story was questioned and laughed at and then dismissed. The witch had made some remarkable revelations, and it was thought there might be something to it, and the proposition was finally acceded to. Drew and Bennett agreed to do the work, and Mr. Johnson consented to become the guardian and see that the right thing was done. The spirit then, then went on to state that the money was under a large flat rock at the mouth of the spring on the southwest corner of the farm on the Red River, describing the surroundings so minutely there could be no mistake about it. So everyone was acquainted with that spring, but no one could have described it so minutely, and this all tended to strength, strengthen faith in the revelation. So the spirit insisted that the committee selected should start the very next morning at the dawn of day, lest the secret should get out and some fiend should beat them to the place and get the money. So the next morning they found everything is described, the huge stone intact, and they were sure they were on time. They observed it was an excellent place for hiding money, where no human being would ever dream of looking for a treasure or care to move the great stone for any purpose, and yet susceptible of such a minute description that no one could be mistaken in the revelation. They carried along an axe and a mattock, and were pretty soon at work, devising ways and means for moving the big rock, which was so firmly embedded in the ground, and it was no light job. But they cut poles, made levers, and fixed prizes, after first removing much dirt from around the stone, so as to get under it. Then Drew and Porter prized and tugged, Mr. Johnson occasionally lending a helping hand, and after half a day's very hard work, the stone raised and moved from its bedding, but no money appeared. Then followed a consultation and discussion of the situation. They reasoned that the glittering treasure was possibly sunk in the earth and the stone embedded over it, and they decided to dig for it and went to work in earnest. They proceeded until they'd opened a hole about six feet square and nearly as many feet deep, and still no money was found. Exhausted and very hungry, they gave up the job, returning to the house late in the afternoon, much disgusted and chagrined. That night the spirit appeared in great glee, laughing and tantalizing the men for being so easily duped, and describing everything that occurred at the spring in the most ludicrous way, telling how they tugged at the big stone and repeating what was said by every one. Bennett Porter staved the mattock end up to the eye, every pop and how, how it made him sweat. It told how old Sugar Mouth looked on prayerfully, encouraging the boys. The dirt taken out was mixed with small stones, gravel, sand, etc., all of which indicated that the earth had been removed and put back. 
Drew, the witch said, could handle the sight of dirt. His hands were made for that purpose and were better than a shovel. No gold could slip through his fingers. The witch's description of the affair kept the house in an uproar of laughter, and it was repeated with equal zest to all newcomers for a month. The witch was also well-versed in Bible lore. There were very few churches in the country at this period. Most of those coming from the older states brought their religion with them and inculcated the principle in their families. The influence of the Reverend James and Thomas Gunn, Reverend Sug Fort, Mr. James Johnson, and other good men swayed mightily. Every man erected an altar in his own home and common for neighbors to meet during the week at one or other's house for prayer and Bible study. In the absence of the preachers, Mr. James Johnson was the principal leader in these exercises. There were no spirit of denominational jealousy, and all Christians mingled in these meetings like brethren of the same faith. The witch, as it accumulated force, dissembled the spirit, giving wonderful exhibitions of a thorough knowledge of the Bible and Christian faith. The voice was not confined to darkness, as were the physical demonstrations. The talking was heard in lighted rooms, as in the dark, and finally in the day at any hour. The first exhibition of a religious nature was the assimilation of Mr. James Johnson's character and worship, repeating the song and prayer, uttering precisely the same petition made by the old gentleman the night he and his wife came for the purpose of investigation, and the impersonation of Mr. Johnson was so perfect that it appeared like himself present. It was not uncommon after this for the witch to introduce worship by lining a, uh, lining a hymn, as was the custom, singing it through and then repeat Mr. Johnson's prayer with the petitions of someone of the ministers. It could sing any song in the hymn book of that time and quote any passage of scripture in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. The propensity for religious discussions was strongly manifested, and in quoting scripture, the text was invariably correctly cited and if anyone misquoted a verse, they would be promptly corrected. It could quote scripture as fast as it could talk, one text after another, citing the book, chapter, and number of the verse. It was common test to open the Bible at any chapter and call on the Spirit to repeat a certain verse, and this was done accurately as fast as the leaves were turned from one chapter of the book to another. It delighted in taking issue on religious subjects, with those well-versed in Scripture and was sure to get the best of the argument, being always quick with a passage to sustain its point. This manifest knowledge of Scripture on the part of the witch was unmistakable and was the most mystifying of all the developments, and strangers who came from a long distance were eager to engage the seer in religious discussions and were no less astounded when the witch would remind them of events and circumstances in their history in a way that was marvelous. Just one circumstance I'll call to mind. The discussion had turned on the command against covetousness and theft. A man, whose name I will call John, put in, remarking that he did not believe there was any sin in stealing something to eat when one was reduced to hunger and could not obtain food for his labor. Instantly, the witch perniciously inquired of John if he ate that sheepskin. This settled John. He was dumb as an oyster, and as soon as the subject was changed, he left the company and was conspicuously absent after that. The result was a revival of an old scandal so long past that it had been forgotten, in which John was accused of stealing a sheepskin. This warlock was indeed a great tattler and made mischief in the community. Some people very much feared the garrulity of its loquacious meddling and were extremely cautious, and it was this class whom the invisible delighted in torturing most. Nothing of moment occurred in the country or in any family that was not reported by the witch at night. The development of this characteristic led the people to inquire after the news and converse with the witch, as they would with a person, very often inquiring what was transpiring then at a certain place or house in the neighborhood. Who needed Facebook back then? They had the witch, right? Sometimes the answer would be, I don't know, wait a minute, I'll go and see. And in less than five minutes, it would report, and the report was genuinely verified. This feature of the phenomena was discovered in this way. Brother Jesse Bell lived within one mile of the homestead. He'd been absent several days on a trip and was expected home on a certain evening. After supper, Mother entered the room, inquiring if any of us knew whether Jesse had returned or not. No one had heard or could inform her. 
the witch manifested much regard for Mother on all occasions and never afflicted her in any way. On this occasion, it spoke promptly, saying, Wait a minute, Luce, I will go and see for you. Scarcely a minute had elapsed when the voice reported that Jesse was at home, describing his physician, sitting at a table reading by the light of a candle. The next morning, Jesse came to see us, and when told the circumstance, he said it was true. And just at that time, there was a distinct rap on his door, and before he could move, the door opened and closed immediately. His wife, he said, noticed it also, and asked him what had caused it, and he replied that he reckoned it was the witch. The reader will understand that no feature of these exhibitions already introduced was ever abandoned, but continued developing virulence or beneficence and felicity. Those weren't people elegant back then. You know, you know, right now, instead of saying virulence, beneficence, and felicity, people would just say awesome. The, the witch was awesome. It did awesome things and said awesome stuff and did awesome things. Nobody would say virulence, virulence, beneficence, and felicity. Nobody would say that in a Facebook post. Yeah, the witch came by last night. It was awesome and said awesome things and then did an awesome stuff. That's That's all they would say. The practice of pulling the cover off the beds was a favorite pastime, and frequently the sheets would be pulled from under the sleepers or the pillows jerked from under their heads and other performances added to the exhibitions. The most mysterious consequence, however, was the afflictions of Elizabeth and father. Notwithstanding the invisible agency feigned a tender regard at times for Betsy, as it affectionately called her, it did not cease tormenting her in many ways, increasing her punishment. The faint pretext for this was a manifest opposition to the attention paid her by a certain young gentleman who was much esteemed by the family. At least there was no other cause manifested, or this would not be mentioned. Sister was now subject to fainting spells, followed by prostration, characterized by shortness of breath and smothering sensations, panting as it were for life, and becoming entirely exhausted and lifeless. These spells lasted from 30 to 40 minutes and passed off suddenly, leaving her perfectly restored after a few minutes. There's no positive evidence that these spells were produced by the witch. However, that was a conclusion from the fact that there was no other apparent cause. She was a very stout girl, and with this exception, the personification of robust health, and was never subject to hysteria or anything of the kind. Moreover, the spells came on at regular hours in the evening, just at the time when the witch usually appeared, and immediately after the spells passed off, the mysterious voice commenced talking, but never uttered a word during the time of her prostration. In the meantime, Father was strangely afflicted, which should have been mentioned in the outset, but he had never regarded his trouble as of any consequence until after Sister recovered from the attacks just described. In fact, his ailment commenced with the incipiency of the witch demonstration, or before he recognized the phenomenal disturbance. He complained of a curious sensational feeling in the mouth, a stiffness of the tongue, and something like a stick crosswise punching each side of his jaws. This sensation did not last long, did not recur very often, or cause pain, and therefore gave him but little concern. But as the phenomena developed, this affliction increased, his tongue swelling against his jaws, so that he could neither talk nor eat for 10 to 15 hours. In the meanwhile, the witch manifested a pernicious dislike for Father, using the most vile and malignant epithets toward him, declaring that it would torment old Jack Bell to the end of his life. As Father's trouble increased, Elizabeth was gradually relieved from her severe spells, and soon recovered entirely from the afflictions, and never had another symptom of the kind but father was seized with another malady that caused him much trouble and suffering. This was contortions of the face, a twitching and dancing of his flesh, which laid him up for the time. These spells gradually increased and undoubtedly carried him to his grave, of which I'll have more to say later on. People continued to ply our loquacious visitor with shrewd, eager questions, trying to elicit some information concerning the mystery which were with equal dexterity evaded or a misleading answer given. First, it was a disturbed spirit haunting a lost tooth. Next, a spirit that had returned to reveal the hiding place of a buried treasure. Then it told Calvin Johnson that it was the spirit of a child buried in North Carolina and told John Johnson it was the stepmother's witch. 
At last, Reverend James Gunn manifested a very inquisitive desire to penetrate the greatest of all secrets and put the question very earnestly. The witch replied, saying that Brother Gunn had put the question in a way that it could no longer be evaded, and it would not do to tell the preacher a flat lie, and if the plain truth must be known, it was nobody else and nothing but old Kate Batts's witch, determined to torment old Jack Bell out of his life. This was a startling announcement, and most unfortunate under the circumstances, because too many were willing to believe it, and it created a profound sensation. Mrs. Kate Batts was the wife of Frederick Batts, who was terribly afflicted, and she had become the head of the family, taking charge of her husband's affairs. She was very eccentric and sensitive. Some people were disposed to shun her, which was still more irritating to her sensitive nature. No harm could be said of Mrs. Batts. She was kind-hearted and a good neighbor toward those she liked. Mr. Gunn, of course, did not believe the witch's statement, nor did any of the bells. The witch manifested a strong aversion for the Negro, often remarking, I despise to smell a Negro. The scent makes me sick. And this no doubt accounts for the fact that the Negroes were never molested in their cabins after night, but away from their quarters they encountered a side of trouble. The witch's repugnance was mutual. All the Negroes disliked the witch and were careful to evade all contacts possible by staying in after night, augmented that natural odor peculiar to the race, which was now worth something. They were afraid of the witch, and it was difficult to get one out of the emergency. This fear was increased by the miraculous stories told by Dean, who was kind of an autocrat among the Negroes, and by the way, father's main reliance for heavy work, and noted for his skill with the axe, maul, and wedge. He was worth two ordinary men in a forest clearing. Dean could see the witch any time when alone or on his way to visit his wife. It appeared to him, he said, in the form of a black dog, and sometimes had two heads, and at other times no head. The Negroes would stand around him with eyes and mouth wide open to hear his description of the witch, his encounters, and hairbreadth escapes. He always carried his axe in a witch ball made by his wife, according to Uncle Zeke's direction, to keep the witch from harming him. He came up one morning, however, rather wor worsted, with his head badly bruised and bloody, and always declared that the witch inflicted the wound with a stick. Dean's stories are not to be quoted as altogether reliable, according to William Bell. He was allowed a wide range for his vivid imagination. Harry, the house boy, however, had cause for believing every word Dean told. It was Harry's business to make morning fires before daylight. He became negligent in his duty, and father scolded and threatened him several times. Finally, the witch took the matter in hand, speaking to father. Never mind, old Jack, don't fret. I will attend to the rascal the next time he's belated. This passed off like much of the gab, but a few mornings after, Harry was later than ever, and father commenced scolding harshly when the witch spoke again. Hold on, old Jack. Didn't I tell you not to pester? Harry had just laid the kindling wood down and was on his knees blowing the coals to a blaze when some unseen force apparently seized him by the neck and frailed him unmercifully. Harry yelled and begged piteously, and when led up, the witch spoke, promising to repeat the operation if he was ever derelict again. Father said he heard the blows as they fell with force, sounding like a paddle or strip of wood, but could see nothing but the boy on his knees yelling for his life. Harry was never laid after that. A rather funny trick was played on Phyllis, a 12-year-old girl who waited in the house and assisted her mother in the kitchen. We had a log rolling on our place, as was the custom in the country. After the work was over, the youngsters, while waiting for supper, engaged in some gymnastics, trying the difficult feat of locking their heels over the back of their neck. Phyllis observed these exercises and the next day stole upstairs to test her athletic capacity. After several unsuccessful attempts, she suddenly realized that her feet had forcibly gone over her head and were securely locked. Time and again, Aunt Lucy, her mother, called and Phyllis has often answered upstairs but never came. Finally, Aunt Lucy picked up a switch, started saying, Bound I fetch that girl downstairs. Pretty soon there was a racket upstairs, and Aunt Lucy had worn out the switch before Phyllis could explain what the that the witch had her. In the case of Anki, however, lends more zest to the witch's characteristic antipathy for the Negroes. Mother had taken notice of the fact that the witch never made any demonstrations in the cabins and conceived the reason why, accepted the witch's own statement. She exercised her genius and hit upon a scheme to outwit the witch, which was rather novel in its purpose. However, she turned the matter over in her own mind carefully and spoke not a word about it, not even to father. 
for the reason perhaps that she was afraid of the thing and believed she fared best by cultivating the regard it manifested for her. Consequently, no one knew a breath of her plans until the outcome of the scheme was developed. Anki was an African girl some 18 years of age, exuberant with that pungent aromatic which, is, which is, was so obnoxious to the witch's olfactory. Mother had determined to cautiously test her plan for getting rid of the witch, telling Anki in her gentle, gentle patronizing way that she wanted her for a house girl and desired that she should sleep in her room. The girl manifested some misgivings but felt complimented by the distinction implied and inquired of Mother if she reckoned the old witch would not pester her, being assured that there was not much danger that the witch would be too busy entertaining the company to take any notice of her. Her fears gave way to her plucked-up courage, and she followed Mother's direction to the letter, keeping the whole matter a secret and all the family until the test was made as to whether the witch would trouble her or not. So one evening after supper, Anki quietly slipped into the room with her pallet and spread it under Mother's bed, fixing herself comfortably on it to await the coming of visitors and the witch, and hear the talking. It was a high bedstead with a fringed counterpane hanging to the floor, hiding Anki completely. She was delighted, and not a soul except Mother knew she was there. Very soon the room was filled with visitors, keeping up a lively chit-chat while waiting the coming of the witch, and Mother taking a seat with the company, anxiously awaiting to see the outcome of her scheme. Presently the voice of the witch angrily rise out of the din of the conversation with the explanation, There's a damn negro in the house. It's Ank. I smell her under the bed, and she's got to get out. In an instant, a noise was heard under the bed, like that of a man clearing his throat, hawking and spitting, and Anki came rolling out like a log, starting downhill, her face and head, literally covered with foam. She sprang to her feet with wonderful agility, frantically exclaiming, Oh, missus, missus, it's going to spit me to death. Let me out, let me out. And she went yelling all the way to the cabin, Let me in, let me in. And the witch then addressed Mother, Say, Luce, did you bring her in here? Yes, Mother replied. I told Anki that she might go under my bed, where she would be out of the way to hear you talk and sing. I thought so, replied the witch. I guess she heard me. Nobody but you, Luce, would have thought of such a smart trick as that. And everybody else had done it. I would have killed her. Lord Jesus, I won't get over that smell in a month. So you see, folks, our bell witch was a howling racist. But nobody else in the family was, which is very interesting. But the bell witch was certainly a racist. Even even for that time, even for that time, she was a racist. So the witch was very fond of Gab, and John Johnson made use of every opportunity to engage the witch in conversation, hoping to draw out something that would give a clue to the mystery. But it appears that all his wits were baffled, and that the seer was all the while aware of his purpose. So the question arose as to the character of the blows received by so many persons on the cheek after retiring. The sound was like the slap of the open hand, and everyone testified that it left a sting like that of a hand, even to the prints of the fingers being felt. So Calvin Johnson conceived the idea of asking the witch to shake hands with him. After much persuasion, the witch agreed to comply with the request, on the condition that Calvin would first promise not to try to grasp or hold the hand that would be laid in his. This he agreed to do, and then holding out his hand, in an instant he felt the pressure of the invisible. Mr. Johnson testified that he felt it very sensibly, and that the touch was soft and delicate like the hand of a lady, and no one doubted his statement. So John Johnson begged the witch to shake hands with him, persisting that he was as good a friend as his brother, but the witch refused, telling John, no, you only want a chance to catch me. John vowed that he would not attempt anything of the kind, and the witch still refused, replying, I know you, John Johnson. You're a grand rascal trying to find me out, and I won't trust you. Two or three other persons claimed to have shaken hands with the witch, which I don't know about, though many testified to the force of the hand as felt on the cheek. And it was not uncommon for the witch to recognize strangers. The moment they entered the house, speaking to them on familiar terms. And as we go through this, we find many more examples. Uh, the son of John Bell talking about... Um, um, the witch, and there's one very um, uh, rather disturbing event I want to talk to you about. Um, uh, a Mr. Porter uh, uh, told a story. Mr. William Porter stayed at the the house one night, and uh, 
he says, I give this as related by Mr. Porter himself to a large company at Father's. Mr. Porter said, it was a cold night, and I made a big log fire before retiring to keep the house warm. As soon as I got in bed, I heard scratching and thumping about the bed, just like the witch's tricks. Presently, I felt the cover drawing to the backside, and immediately the witch spoke, which I recognized the unmistakable voice of the witch. Billy, I've come to sleep with you and keep you warm. I replied, well, if you're going to sleep with me, you must behave yourself. I clung to the cover, feeling that it was drawing from me as it appeared to be raised from the bed on the other side and something snake-like crawling under. I was never afraid of the witch or apprehended that it would do me any harm, but somehow this produced a kind of chilly sensation, a freak of all-overness that was simply awful. The cover continued to slip in spite of my tenacious grasp and was twisted into a roll on the back side of the bed, just like a boy would roll himself in a quilt and not a strip was left on me. I jumped out of bed in a second, and observing that the witch had rolled up in the cover, the thought struck me. I've got you now, you rascal, and will burn you up. In an instant, I grabbed the roll of cover in my arms and started to the fire, intending to throw the cover, witch and all, into the blaze. I discovered that it was very weighty and smelled awful. I'd not gone halfway across the room before the luggage got so heavy and became so offensive that I was compelled to drop it on the floor and rush out of doors for a breath of fresh air. The odor emitted from the roll was the most offensive stench I have ever smelled. It was absolutely stifling, and I could not have endured it another second. After being refreshed, I returned to the room and gathered up the roll of bedclothing, shook them out, but the witch had departed, and there was no unusual weight or offensive odor remaining, and this is just how near I came to catching the witch. A very terrifying story. And, of course, now what we know um, is that John Bell, the old man, old Jack, that the witch hated, um, um, died of poisoning. And... um, And it was said that the Bell Witch actually killed him. Um, and John Bell's last words were, Oh, my son, my son, not long will you have a father to wait on so patiently. I cannot much longer survive the per- persecutions of this horrible thing. It's killing me with a slow tortures, and I feel that the end is nigh. And William Bell says, This expression set a pang to my bosom, which I had never felt before. And... He said, my heart bleeds now at every pore as I pen these lines, refreshing my memory with thoughts of terror that possessed me then, in anticipation of a fearful tragedy that might be enacted before Father could move from his position. And that moment he turned his eyes upward and lifted his soul to heaven in a burst of fervent, passionate prayer, such as I had never heard him utter before. He prayed the Lord that if it were possible to let this terrible affliction pass, He beseeched God to forsake him not in the trying ordeal, but to give him courage to meet this unknown devastating enemy in the trying emergency and faith to lift him to the confidence and love of a blessed Savior. And with all to relieve his family and loved ones from the terrible affliction of this wicked, unknown, terrifying, blasphemous agency. And the witch in the meantime broke out with joyous excitement exclaiming, it's useless for you to try to relieve old Jack. I've got him this time. He'll never get up from that bed again. And the witch was asked about the vial of medicine found in the cupboard, and she replied, I put it there and gave old Jack a big dose out of it last night while he was fast asleep, which fixed him. And father never returned or revived consciousness for a single moment. He lingered along through a day and a night, gradually wearing away, and on the morning of December 20th, 1820, breathed his last And that's the story of the Bell Witch of Adams County, Tennessee. And next week we'll talk about the shadow people. They say the Bell Witch still manifests to this very day. And uh, I myself have seen the Black Dog when we were doing a documentary about the Bell Witch, and many people still see the Black Dog, a very terrifying specter it is indeed. And I'll warn you, if you go in search of the Bell Witch, you're liable to find her. And But remember, not a woman or a witch, or a spirit you really want to mess with. She tormented John Bell to the day he died. Not a nice haunting, not a good haunting. People found her very funny at times, 
And when you read these anecdotes, you see she had a wicked sense of humor, but she also killed people. Next week, shadow people. We'll talk about them. What are they? Have you seen shadow people? Happy Halloween. Happy Sawing. I'm John St. Germain. <laughs>